entertainment, sports, culture. This is Raleigh Co. Radio, podcast presented by Raleigh and Company. I can show you the world shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? Welcome to this week's Spooning with Dimitri. I am the aforementioned Dimitri. All right, let's let's get to uh, the two elephants in the room right off the bat. Yes, that is a whole new world from Aladdin. It is the music for this week. And yes, we have been gone for two weeks. It's sort of what happens when you do kind of a uh, by-the-seat-of-your-pants interview podcast in the restaurant industry. People get busy all of a sudden. Things, uh, you know, deliveries don't come in. Parties canceled. Parties show up all of a sudden. And interviews have to be moved around. So I'm sorry we missed the last two weeks. Uh, we definitely have a string of three good interviews coming up for you over the next three weeks. Uh, but who knows? Maybe going forward... This is going to be one of those podcasts that has to take breaks occasionally to account for the schedule of our guests. Uh, speaking of our guests, this week it is Matt Lowry, one of the two chefs uh, that run Murrah in North Hills. Uh, this is a place I frequent a lot, so I was very familiar with what Matt does. Matt runs the Hot Kitchen, uh, and in this he will uh, in this interview he'll talk a little bit about Chef Wal Kim, who runs the uh, the Sushi Kitchen. Uh, but anyway, Matt's a, a really great guy, North Carolina guy that took a trip to uh, D.C. when he was nine years old and suddenly discovered Asian flavors. Now, whether or not that was the catalyst that stuck with him this whole time, he'll talk a little bit about that. But thinking about that story and thinking about what he aims to do with Asian fusion cuisine, A Whole New World was the first song that popped into my head. And I spent probably a good 30 minutes just combing through Google results of what other song sort of conveys that message of a brand new experience, and I just couldn't find one better than that. So yeah, we have a song from Aladdin this week uh, for Spooning with Dimitri, but you know what? It, I, I think it fits the occasion. So sit back and enjoy this chat with Matt Lowry from Mura on this week's Spooning with Dimitri. I wonder over sideways and under on a magic carpet ride a whole new Fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go or say we're only dreaming. I don't think I've ever got down into one of these. I know. This. <laughs> I do. Uh, I also do uh, movie reviews, uh, and so we have so many screeners over here at um, over here at the North Hills Theater, and I eat here all the time. I've never come into uh, oh. these rooms before. Yeah. I've served like with wine dinners in here and stuff, but yeah. I've never actually had to sit down with more. Yeah. So you uh, you're from North Carolina, right? Yes, born and raised here. So what what was your experience like growing up? Like where did you grow up, and what was the relationship with food like, and all that kind of stuff? Uh, it it was everywhere. Um, my great uncle was a hog farmer. Like, oh, okay. So I mean, I got to see from start to beginning where food came from. Yeah. And uh, my Grandpa grew up fishing with him, uh-huh. um, going to trips to the Outer Banks, and we had a family pond and garden. So, I mean, it was going from the garden, picking vegetables, going in the evening after school to catch fish, and then cleaning the fish, right. you know, for dinner. So, I mean, I saw, get to 
got to see where food came from from the beginning. Yeah. So fishing, obviously, there is like a there's a start to finish process, like you talked about, mm-hmm. between catching, cleaning, right. cooking, all that kind of stuff. But it's still, I would imagine that having uh, access, like having a hog farm in the family, sort of gave you an even different respect for food, especially meat. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember the smoke houses and hanging up curing curing meat, smoking mm-hmm. ham, you know, charcuterie. Back. Right. I didn't know that's what it was then, but <laughs> yeah. I know that's what it is now. Um, making sausages, stuffing, um, going through the grinders, making sack sausage. Uh, it was really interesting to see and learn growing up. Yeah. I mean, just from you know day one almost, I've seen the whole process of where food com- came from, and then um, finally decided later on down the line that's what I wanted to do. Okay, so. Um, at that time, like, was there was there always an instant, um, I guess, interest in the way the hog goes from walking around to on your plate, or was there ever any sort of like squeamishness? Did your parents try to protect you from it at all? <laughs> no, um, I just saw it, and I mean, it was just part of everyday life, really. I mean, yeah, it was, it was like great. That's going to be ham in two years. <laughs> it's going to be delicious. Um, but yeah, just knowing where food came from, that was um, a big influence, and I mean, I would. Uh, Help my grandmother fix dinner. Okay. At night. Yeah. You know, for family dinner. Yeah. Um. So I was always doing that, and I kind of never really is not like I knew that's what I wanted to do from the right. beginning. I, you know, several years later, actually, I remember taking a trip to Washington D.C. and going through Chinatown, and mm-hmm. it was like, "This is amazing. I love, I love this food." And then going home, I was probably about ten years old, trying to recreate that food. Like, how did they do it? I don't know how they. Did yeah. It. So <laughs> And, I mean, you know, several years went by. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, school, out of high school, all that kind of stuff. You right. You don't really know exactly what you want to do. Then I worked in a kitchen for the first time. I was like, you know what? This kind of works. I like yeah. this. But then, you know, several years later, it still wasn't really trying different jobs. Like, right. This just isn't it. And then finally decided to go to culinary school, and that was the – that was the – Yeah. The, so what all were those other jobs in between there? Uh, warehouse jobs, moving furniture. Okay. Answering phones, customer service. Very easy to see why cooking is way more appealing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just just normal jobs. Yeah. yeah. Is part of the appeal for you, I mean, like, being a chef, well, here, right, you, you kind of, it's kind of a team thing where you handle some sushi, but you have uh, a dedicated sushi chef. Yeah. Um, Mr. Walken, he's our head sushi chef. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a couple rolls, sushi rolls on the menu. Right. Um, that just comes from, um, I worked in another Asian fusion restaurant for uh-huh. several years, and I actually got to roll sushi there. Oh, very cool. Um, so that's, I mean... Learning it in school also, but then actually getting mm-hmm. to do it hands-on in the restaurant that I came from um, helped a lot. Yeah. So I do have a little influence there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess does that divide up – does that sort of help more define your day or is it a situation where you're both here when it, when you both need to be here? Or is there like a time when Wall sort of is in charge of the kitchen or – it is a little divided, uh, only because he's he's really good at what he does. Right. So he handles that end of things, and I handle the fusion hot side of things. Yeah. Um, but we do uh, work together occasionally. We just did um, Toast the Triangle. We actually, yeah, yeah. the dish we took to that was a collaboration of both of us um, putting mm-hmm. it together and executing it really well. So we do find times when we can work together um, to collaborate on dishes yeah so the dishes or the the rolls rather that you're involved with i'm guessing that's like is that like the surf and turf roll stuff that has a hot and a cold element to it actually one one of them is the two rolls that i created uh, that are on the menu now is the crab cake roll which is a deep fried roll mm-hmm. um and that just comes from loving crab cakes yeah. and making it into sushi <laughs> form yeah um so that was one of mine and then there's one that I did, it's the cali blt that has bacon, yeah. bacon in it right so i mean that's where just trying to incorporate some of those hot side Mm-hmm. ideas and into 
atypical sushi stuff people don't really think of. Yeah. They have certain roles. Sushi has to be uh, something that's really appealing as a chef because there's a lot of room for experimentation, a lot of room to put your own stamp on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's more than just rice and fish, you know what I mean? Right. What's really popular now, our, our biggest thing, is specialty rolls. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a blank canvas. You do what you want with it. You have rice and you have a piece of seaweed and you can paint it, basically. You can yeah. do what you want to. So that area of special rolls and creating those um, is, I mean, the sushi chefs here, they do a great job um, of coming up with feature rolls every month. And they're pretty creative about that. And I mean, I occasionally try to sneak one in there, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> I did it for a while. I still like playing with it because it is fun. Yeah. So going back to that trip to uh, D.C. and going through Chinatown, it was I know you said like it wasn't like instantaneous. That's what I want to do. But was there sort of an attraction to Asian flavors? Yeah, because I'd never had it before, and that was really? my first experience with it. And yeah, those were, I just remember them being. I was I was young, but I just remember that this food is amazing. I've never had it right. before. It's not what I grew up with. And so going back home and wanting to try to make it and recreate it, and I just had no idea how to do it when I was nine years old. So now looking back on it at nine, like was your first exposure to Asian food like very traditional, or was it the more Americanized version of? It, well, it was in Chinatown in D.C., but I obviously I do believe it's hard to remember specific yeah, yeah, sure. details in that long. But <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was the typical Americanized stuff. Yeah. But I mean, you, you're surrounded in that culture at that time, so you don't know any better, right? Well, yeah. it, it's it's there is a it's I guess a revelation maybe is the right word for it. like coming from the South that everything is meat and three to suddenly yeah. those flavors of soy and ginger. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that was definitely intriguing and sparked my interest. It was yeah. one of my first times my interest got sparked for food, yeah. Yeah, so when you are in culinary school locally or elsewhere? No, um, I went to the Art Institute. Oh, okay. Where, yeah, um, oh, so you didn't graduate from culinary school that long ago then, uh, right? Because didn't the Art Institute open in like 06? Yeah, 06 or 05. I went, okay. I went there like the, I was right after the first class. Okay. Um, and it actually started at a community college mm-hmm. um, before I transferred over there. So I transferred some of my credits over there. Yeah. Um, from another school. I went to uh, Vance Granville. Okay. Um, out close to where I lived. And then after the Art Institute had opened in Durham, it was like their first year open. So I switched over there just because it was a, a better school. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what, what all do you learn? Like what, what all is involved with culinary school? Is it strictly cooking? Do you learn any of the business side of it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was math class, psychology, English, uh, the core standard classes that you do in any college-type setting. But um, then, yeah, there's the hands-on cooking classes where you learn traditional techniques. You Mm -hmm. learn your mother sauces, uh, what bachamel hollandaise is, velouté, um, all the classical French stuff. And then um, you also learn the business side of it. You learn food costing. Uh, menu development, um, just the whole restaurant yeah, office yeah. side of it too, as well as the cooking side. Yeah. Um, and then you, with their program, it's uh, world cuisine. So you get to learn Scandinavian cuisine. Oh, well. Um, Italian, Russian, Japanese, mm-hmm. Southeast Asian. I mean, it's broken up into just a uh, world cuisine. And then, yeah. I mean, we even did one class that was um, a regional cuisine in America. So you have Caribbean cuisine, cuisine mm-hmm. in the Midwest, cuisine of the Mid-Atlantic, California cuisine. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot. They, they really put you out there to get as much information as you can. It's But then you get actually into a restaurant, and you're like, oh, my God, I didn't learn anything. I know how to make this sauce, but what's going on? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole different world when you actually get in the kitchen and start taking on the bigger projects and trying to actually run a brigade of people and having people work under you and 
then you know you run into schedules like holy crap i've got a schedule to make <laughs> right they didn't teach me that in school <laughs> all right so i want to jump back to uh some of those other classes here in just a second but you know it's sort of to your point about you know you get to a restaurant and you realize oh my god i don't think i learned anything it's there's so much that cannot be accounted for in terms of what it means to be a line cook under a specific chef or what it means to be a sous to a specific chef mm-hmm. that i guess you only get that experience the first time you're you're thrown into the fire yeah i mean in school you know we worked in teams we had a head chef in the kitchen right and we're learning recipes you really learn how to cook but i mean you even have the um kitchen the school kitchen that you mm-hmm. had to work in before you uh, graduated that you know it was a full service restaurant, basically. Right. But I mean, what is that? What is the restaurant? That yeah, I think it's called uh, District at Four Ten. Okay, that's what it's called there. Uh, it's not always. It's only open when they have that class. Going right, right. Um, but yeah, it was basically a full service restaurant. You had to work front of house, back house, mm-hmm. all that. And um, going out of there, I went into a Asian restaurant that was very similar to this one to do my internship. Yeah. So that's another how. echelon. No, it wasn't an echelon restaurant. It was um, another Japanese fusion restaurant, okay. very similar to this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, out close to where I lived at in Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. So that's eventually what got me over here because I knew the cuisine from this restaurant. Right. So when you are taking those classes about costing and you're learning how to design a menu, is there? did you ever go through a phase where you thought, you know, there's so much... Um, I don't know the right way to ask it is. I mean, chef is one of those jobs that I think ideally you think, oh, this is fun. I just get to cook. I just yeah. get to create. But and then you sort of realize the financial side of it. Was there ever a time you thought maybe this isn't for me? No, never. Um, it's it doesn't being a chef doesn't feel like work to me. It doesn't. Yeah, feel, yeah. It doesn't feel like a job. I mean, right. it feels like it's what I'm supposed to do. Right. So it's never there. Never really was a time when it's like ah, I'm not sure about this. Uh, there's obviously. Fun times when, you know, you get to do the cool stuff and go talk to tables and like, yeah, look what I made. And we just did our spring dinner, you know, had selling tickets and it was a lot of fun getting to talk to the guests and creating a menu for them. It's a lot of hard work, but it's it's still fun. Right. Yeah. So are there are there dishes that you have created that you would really love to get on the menu someday, but financially it's just not feasible or not, uh, not smart? Yeah, well, I mean, um, the menu that we have now is one that I worked on um, as soon as I took the position here. Mm-hmm. And I do have a lot of influence on there now. We have got uh, some of my dishes like the wasabi guacamole, yeah. the meatballs, the grilled pork belly, the short ribs. Um, those are a lot of my ideas that I wanted to try out that I knew were good. And we got those on the menu, and they've been pretty popular. But, yeah, there's always things I want to try and do. I'd love to get, you know, do foie gras dishes and mm-hmm. you know, A5 Japanese Kobe beef. But, I mean, start pushing $40, 50 a pound. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, let me let me just try this out before I throw it on the menu. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so do you is there a different feeling for you from when you put something new on the menu? Um, you know, that's like a like a short rib, like a, a spare rib that is pretty common across Asian cuisine versus something like the wasabi guacamole, like the Kobe. Uh, meatball that is, you know, it may not be 100% your own creation, but that's not something you can find just anywhere. Right. Um, I'm sorry, I don't think I really lost your question. So I guess the question was just, is there a different level of satisfaction for you with those two dishes? Or is it just a a matter of getting to serve people, period? Yeah, just, um, I mean, my main goal is to make food that people like. Right. I mean, that's the main goal, to serve the guest and give them something that they can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, To put my idea on a plate in front of them. That's what's the most satisfying, is when you can go and talk to somebody and they're like, wow, this is amazing. It's the only place I can get this. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what's gratifying. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if it is something common, like a short rib, Mm -hmm. um, if I've braised it a certain way that... 
they had never had before and it yeah. incorporated a different level of flavor. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I've had short ribs over here before, but these are, these are different. These are better. Right. And it's always gratifying. Like when, for me, it's difficult when I go out to eat somewhere because it's like, oh, hey, I can make this. You know, I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. So giving somebody something that they wouldn't normally be able to make at home or, you know, have the time to make. I mean, sometimes we raise those things for four to five hours. You know, some people can't find it in their day to of do course. that. Yeah. So when I can give them something that's satisfying, they love and can appreciate and come back for it, that's that's the biggest reward. So for you, when you go out to eat, what is what is the most satisfying experience? Um, just finding something really good. It's yeah. like, wow, you know, this person put their time and effort into it. And you can, I can see right. from an industry standpoint that, that the person had put the passion behind their dish yeah. to serve it to the guests, kind of the, similar to the way I like to do things. Yeah, so when you are uh, when you are the customer in a restaurant environment, do you prefer to eat at places where you can sort of pick up influence, pick up ideas from, uh, or do you try and get as far away from what might come into Murrah as possible? Uh, anything. I mean, yeah. that, across the board, I like to try anything. I mm-hmm. mean, it doesn't matter if it's Italian cuisine or uh, Mediterranean restaurant or the Chinese restaurant, takeout Chinese restaurant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I just like to look for the passion that people have put in their food. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could find a little mom and pop's place that serves pizzas and be like, wow, this is the best. Somebody, they, they care about this pizza they make. Yeah. And you really can see the quality and the ingredients and, and passion that people put in their food. That's what I look for when I go out. Do you have other chefs in the triangle that you know, uh, if you go there and they know you're in the house, that they are going to, like, do you try and impress each other? Um, I've eaten at some of the other restaurants, uh, Echelon restaurants, and uh-huh. you know, we all know when we're sure. in, in the restaurant, like, uh, server will be like, hey, such and such from whoever's is eating here. I'm like, okay. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, but not a lot of one-upsmanship. No, nah, I mean, I, I think it's, it still goes back to the passion. Everybody wants to show what they've got. Sure. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing we all try to do. Yes. Yeah. You know, just always give 100%. Right. So what uh, what are your hours like here in a day? Um, usually 11 to 12 hours. Yeah. Um, I'd sometimes get in a 30-minute break, hour break, run over to the gym. Right. For a minute, yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah, I would imagine when you're working with food all day, that hour break, you don't necessarily want lunch. You want to right. kind of get away from it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I'm usually here. Um, I work five full days. I'm here probably six days a week mm-hmm. um, with we come in on one of my days off for our weekly manager meetings. Yeah. Just to you know, hash out everything for the week and what's upcoming. Yeah. So I do get one full day off. So is the, is the off time, um, I mean, geez, 11 to 12 hours a day is the off time pretty much shower and sleep or do you have time to sort of have a bit of a social life as well? Uh, not so much. Yeah. I wouldn't think <laughs> it, so. it's, it's going like, um, uh, past couple of days, um, on my one day off, I take Wednesdays off. So I'm coming back to work for the rest of the week now. This is kind of a right. start to my work week after Monday and Tuesday. Um, oh, so I picked the worst possible time for you to sit down <laughs> with you, did I? Oh, no, no, actually, it's a really good time. Um, but like, I spent time planting my herb garden yeah, yeah. at home, cook dinner, do some work around the house. Yeah. And you know, when you can find time to take off, <laughs> yeah, go out and plan to enjoy, yeah, do something, go catch a comedy show or something. Yeah. So the, but the like the day to day hour, like, do you need time? Cause, you guys, by virtue of not only having a full hot kitchen, but there is the side that wall works on that's open for everybody right. to see. There is like a certain level of professionalism and always having to be on that Absolutely. might not exist somewhere where the kitchen is completely closed off. Because, you know, even though you're back in the hot side of it, everyone can hear through that oh, little opening oh, yeah. <laughs> what goes yeah. on. So 
I would have to imagine that time that's off, sometimes it must be hard to get up the energy to go out to the herb garden. <laughs> yeah, uh, sometimes it's, it it's definitely can be exhausting, but it can be fun too. Yeah. It was long days like uh, our spring dinner. I was here for about 12 hours and it felt like I was only here for like four. Yeah. I mean, just things were happening so fast. By the end of the day, I was like, wow, I've been here for 12 hours. Does not feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it time can go quick, yeah. especially when you're having fun. So, are you still, do, does your family, your family must come to Murrah? Uh, okay, a occasionally, yeah. yeah. Um, is there still, like, you still talk with, uh, or I don't even know if they're still with us or not, but uncles, fathers, grandparents, mothers, whatever, um, that, you know, sort of talk about what they are doing food-wise and sort of do you ever think about how can I incorporate that into the menu? Um, most of my family, the majority of my family lives out of state, so they oh, okay. unfortunately don't get to come by and yeah, yeah. try out the cuisine. My mom will stop in every once in a while. Where out of state? Um... Georgia, okay. Virginia, South Carolina, yeah. West Virginia. Yeah. So then it sounds like you, for the most part, and I know we sort of talked about this um, earlier with you sort of talking about how different the Chinatown cuisine was. Yeah. You mostly grew up then with like eating very traditional Southern. Yeah. Yeah. Food. I mean, uh, my great grandmother was still alive when I was little. And mm -hmm. I mean, same thing with my great great grandfather. Like we would fish and she was making buttermilk biscuits every morning. Yeah. Country ham and yeah, so I mean, it's definitely traditional Southern. Cuisine. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, that's one of those things. It's weird now to see the way you know you think about restaurants like I don't know, like Piedmont in Durham or like um, uh, Tupelo Honey that just opened up, where uh, you know they they try and sort of modernize Southern cuisine, but at the root of it, it all still seems to come back to fried chicken, biscuits, and honey. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, my great-grandmother made biscuits every single morning. Wow. So, yeah. A good way to live. <laughs> my mother made Pop-Tarts every single morning. <laughs> uh, when, you are, uh, when you're at home and sort of uh, vegging out, trying to, trying to keep the restaurant at arm's length at least for one day, yeah. uh, for you, what, what is sort of – like what are you looking for out of food at that time? Have you gotten to the point where food is just the fuel to keep you going? Oh, no. I mean, I cook at home. I'm – you know, that's my experiment kitchen. That's where sure. I like to try things. And, um, you know, I'll have a photo album going of different things I've made at home. Just mm -hmm. to, just to say, it's like, not like, well, it's like riding a bike. You're not going to forget how to do it. But just to right. stay sharp, you know, yeah, yeah. and keep up with things. I do like to cook at home. and But occasionally I'll call in a pizza too. It's like, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm done today. I'm not cooking anything else. So not a ton of McDonald's in your rotation then? Uh, no, I really don't do the fast food thing. Yeah. Uh, Chick-fil-A occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it's a necessary yeah yeah uh so what are the things that you have you thought for sure would have been great and they just for whatever reason either you couldn't get them right or you were convinced it just will not work the way you think it will uh what like for, creating a dish yeah like recipes uh well like at home uh there's a very memorable risotto that i made that was just not good <laughs> was, was, that was an epic failure um but then there's been successes too but most of the time, uh, recipes that I try to come up with work out pretty good. And yeah. Then, especially if I'm doing them here, I'll let the staff try and be like, hey, what do you think of this? And right. Like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, we need yeah run this as a feature. Yeah. And then I'll let my line cooks try and like, hey, what do you think of this? I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe this. Because, I mean, every, everybody doesn't, has, doesn't have my taste. Right. So, I mean, I like to, when I'm trying something new, let everybody try it and get everybody's opinion on it. Because, I mean, maybe I missed something. Uh, maybe it's something that I like that nobody else likes. Yeah. Know? So, Creating a recipe, definitely um, just getting a lot of people involved in it to try it out, taste it, and get their feedback. Yeah. When you talk about uh, adding something as a feature or creating a new dish, how often um, – well, how often when you are putting together what the features are going to be, do you feel the need 
to add something new? How often do you feel like you can rotate? Like, oh, we did that, you know, two months ago and it was a big hit. We did this this time last year and it was a big hit. Yeah, I've kind of got a rotating feature right. menu that I do that some of the stuff that's been more popular, um, some of the stuff that we just really didn't sell much of and um, try to switch it up, you know, do different things. So it's not really completely rotating it, you know, every month, like the first week of a month is always this and mm -hmm. the second week is always this. Just, um, I do like to try new things, but if there was something that I did in the past that was really popular that we sold out of, I'll bring it back. Occasionally. Right. How, uh, how educated do you feel like your clientele is? I mean, it seems like certainly Asian fusion restaurants are probably more popular now than they've ever been right. in the States. More people know about sushi now than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but in terms of eating what's in season, uh, the the willingness to kind of branch out how much are you seeing or how much surprises you i guess now um a lot of people will ask where stuff's from they'll, they'll really? want to know where's this from is yeah. it local is it sustainable hey you shouldn't be using it. i mean it does seem like people are becoming more educated um especially wanting to know where their food comes from yeah um that's that's one of the biggest things i've known um and of course you got gluten-free out mm -hmm. there that's people are educating themselves about certain food trends. Right. Um, so people are taking the time to learn what they're eating, especially right. when they go out and they're paying, you know, if they want to know what they're paying for. Right. So I think people are educating themselves. So if I put something on the menu with a funny name, like a gastrique, people are, they might know what it is or they might ask their server, but um, stuff like that's becoming, I think, more popular where people do know what they're going out and paying for. Yeah. They want to know where it comes from and what they're eating, especially with food sensitive allergies and, mm -hmm trends and new ways of eating so yeah i think people are educating themselves are there challenges of or are there different challenges i guess in, in asian cuisine when it comes to keeping up with you know gluten-free vegan all, I, mean, I mean i would imagine gluten-free really comes more into play in sauces right in asian cuisine yeah it's it's hard um you know everything trying to keep soy out of everything <laughs> or using gluten-free soy and then right. people with soy allergies i mean people come in and it's like i have a soy allergy and a gluten allergy it's like Oh wow, uh, rice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it definitely becomes a challenge, especially with soy and gluten allergies in a Asian fusion environment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we do obviously have gluten free soy sauce, and we can cater to people as much as possible with their allergies and whip up a gluten free soy vinaigrette form or something. Right. I mean, on the fly if we have to, so we definitely try to cater to those things. Yeah. But it, it is a little more difficult, I would think, in Asian fusion cuisine than other types of cuisine. Yeah. So what were some of the challenges that maybe not you weren't prepared for, but maybe some of the challenges that is just, you don't see coming as part of traditional training when you take over your own kitchen? Uh, traditional training, you know, like I said, you know, they, you learn how to cook, you learn the numbers, you learn right. all that stuff, but it's a lot different when it's right in front of you or, you know, one of my biggest challenges when I took over here was, you know, just learning that everybody's schedule and then, yeah. you know, then you have people calling you, calling out, hey, I can't make it. It's like, oh, okay, um, yeah. what do I do now? Oh, well, hey, I need I need tomorrow off. I got to go. It's, it's, a, it's somebody sick. Okay, I got I to jump in. And get yeah, so the personality management side of it. Yeah, um, and just having to cover when people, I mean, you're the person who has to cover that now. You're not the person calling right. out, hey, no, I can't make it to work today. Sorry, I'm sick. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> I got to get this covered. and got to put out the product. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's really one of the things that, um, struck me as, you know, you, you don't learn that kind of stuff in school. You know? Right. I mean, it's a situa situation to situation um, experience. Like, yeah. you have to deal with certain things when they come up. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So is there is there even now a way you can say I like my kitchen to you know run in this manner, or is it such a matter of personality that depending on who's on the line, what day? Well, it, here, I mean, this place has been here for a decent. I think we're coming up on our nine or ten year anniversary, mm. ten year, I think. Um, so it's a pretty well old machine. Sure, it, sure. It, it runs really well, um, and I have a really good staff. Mm. Um, who know and, and when I'm not here on my day off or if I'm out of town for something, they know they can call me and I answer my phone immediately and we can get whatever resolved. Right. So, I mean, I have a really good staff who is on top of things and they let me know what's going on. Hey, look, this didn't work. Hey, this happened the other day. And if I'm not here, if I have to step out or if it's on my day off, again, they, they know to reach out to me and mm-hmm. um, we get things taken care of. It works really well. Yeah. How much do you try and keep the floor staff educated about the way the kitchen runs and, and you know, what what the realistic expectations are of you guys? Um, the front of house staff, I try to stay engaged with them as much as possible mm-hmm. because, I mean, they're on the front line. They of course. They, they know what the customer sees and what the customer wants, so I'm always asking them, you know. Yeah, and I would imagine as a chef, like, for you, it's important to have them as ambassadors to tell the uh, clientele, this is what this tastes like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why they get to try the food that I make, so they, right. can, they can educate the customer, and they're educated. So. Right. And they'll, they're great with asking me, like, hey, what is this? You know, how do I pronounce this? What's this made from? <laughs> right. So it, they definitely step up their game and want to know what they're selling and what to tell the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do try to come out and, you know, talk to certain customers. And I've got a bunch of regulars that I come and talk to sure. and see and try to, you know, meet new people out on the floor. But they are the ones right there seeing them every day. Right. So we keep or we keep the staff, I mean, the our sushi chef wall, he really keeps them educated about the new fish that he's bringing in. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm using a product that they're not familiar with or a technique, definitely educate them and let them know what it is. And if they don't know, they definitely ask. They're, yeah. They want to know. They're yeah. hungry to know what's going on and, and they know how the kitchen works and how to, how to sell certain foods and what, what works and what doesn't work. So it really is a well little machine. Yeah. Right. Being able to educate that part of being a chef, is that something that came naturally to you? Do you kind of have to learn um, I, like, so, I, you know, like my dad's a chef, for instance, uh, and he, uh, has realized very quickly he did not have the patience to right. do that part and sort of farm that out to the sous chef a little right. bit. No, I love, uh, teaching. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I love sharing my experiences and my knowledge with people. Um, so that's definitely something that I embrace, especially if somebody asks me, Hey, how do you do this? Um, Glad to show him uh, one of my sous chefs uh, with our spring dinner. I taught him how to make uh, sponge sugar cages. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, stuff like that. That Some of the stuff I had to learn on my own. I mean, obviously, going back to school, you learn a lot there. But yeah, of course. a lot of things that you have to teach yourself, too. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm definitely willing to teach my staff as much as I can for them to get the best out of their career and yeah. move forward also. Yeah. What are the... Um I guess uh, maybe specific challenges, maybe that's the right way to say it. What are the sort of specific um, day-to-day uh, situations, challenges, all that kind of stuff that comes along with having a place in a location like North Hills? Uh, the volume. I mean, yeah. we can we can get a lot of people in and out the doors really quickly. Yeah. Um, and the biggest challenge um, in this particular environment is since there's basically two kitchens, a cold kitchen and a hot kitchen and, you know, multiple people at the table ordering from both sides, mm-hmm. coordinating those times together for hot food to come out hot with, you know, rolls coming out from another side um, while trying to you know, try to run back and forth, especially when we're really busy to, you know, to see that everything's coming together. That's the biggest challenge here. Yes. Yeah. Just working with basically two kitchens. 
For sure. So before uh, we wrap up, I mean, it seems appropriate if we're talking about food to end by talking about dessert a little bit. Uh, there is a, you know, in a fusion style Asian restaurant, there seems to be, I'm not going to say a bigger focus on dessert, but a bigger focus on dessert than would be in a traditional Japanese or Chinese restaurant a little bit. I mean, it, because uh, the, the fusion style here in America anyway is so catered towards the way Americans eat, like dessert's part of the meal does. Yeah. Um, here, our, our dessert menu here is a little different than your standard um, sushi place restaurant. A lot uh -huh. of people have the tempura fried ice cream. Right. And, you know, the mochi. We do carry the mochi. Um, it's probably the only thing we don't make in-house. Everything else we make in-house. We have a five-spice chocolate tort, mm -hmm. uh, a white chocolate cheesecake that we make. They're, so they're fairly traditional desserts, but uh, just by, like, adding the five-spice to the chocolate tort, give it just that little bit of Asian twist right. with that little bit of cinnamon in it. Um, is a way to do uh, for our spring dinner. Um, and so that, that's sort of what you're looking for, right? Yeah. Is like how can we take something that people are comfortable with and yeah. give it our own... little Asian twist, yeah. yeah. Um, for example, the spring dinner that we did, I made wasabi ice cream. Oh, very cool. Um, so just using the standard wasabi we had and putting it into our ice cream base. Yeah. Um, it was really surprising. A lot of people were like, wow, <laughs> you know, that's, that's different. But <laughs> well, it's it's, it, that wasabi ice cream is... Uh, you get the spices and you also get what you need to sort of dull the spiciness a little right. bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's fun to do. I mean, I'm not a pastry chef by any sure. stretch of imagination. So, um, I think that's like a little dark area that some chefs like to try to stay <laughs> away course. from this desserts if, if we can help it. So, but do you still do the desserts or do you have a pastry chef in-house? Um, I have one of my, she's not really, she's not a pastry chef, but sure. she handles a lot of our desserts and she's really good at it. She enjoys doing it. And basically my second in command, he loves doing it too. Like, oh, very cool. He, um, like if we need a cake for something, I can be like, Hey, you know, get a good recipe together and do this. I mean, he's, he likes to focus on that because he has fun with it. Um, yeah. So if I can farm it out to somebody who has the passion to, you know, really get the measurements right, get the oven temp right. Um, somebody who likes doing that. Certainly, I let them do it, but I do. I do try to dabble in it a little bit myself, just to again stay sharp and yeah. you know not lose focus on something that I could learn to better myself and my knowledge of food. So I definitely like to tackle a dessert every once in a while. Yeah, you're a young guy. How old are you? Thirty-one. Okay, so you're only a couple of years younger than me. But um, the uh, I would imagine the whole time you've been in the restaurant industry, particularly you know chef, sous chef, all that. Like you've always dealt with technology, right? I mean, there there's probably never been a time that you have people hand running tickets back to the right. kitchen. Yeah. Unless our internet goes down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then you'll have here, wrote it on a ticket for you. But yeah, technology, um, I'm definitely familiar with it. I mean, I do my, uh, food order through my phone now. With wow. App. Yeah. Yeah. So you do your food orders for your suppliers through your phone. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So there's not a whole lot of haggling at the door when they come in anymore. Right. Well, very cool. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for sitting down. Thank you. All right, there we go. A big thank you to Matt Lowry, everyone at Mura and Echelon Experiences that helped set this up. Uh, next week, we will talk to the folks behind the Cockadoodle Moo food truck. So uh, good to get back to the trucker scene a little bit as well. Uh, all right, so thank you, everybody, for hanging out. If you enjoyed the show, as always, please go on to iTunes and rate us. Give us uh, some thumbs up, some uh, five stars. And let people know about the show. Speaking of shows, uh, for those of you that have not yet heard, I am also hosting the second podcast uh, for Raleigh Co. Radio. It's called the Rock and Roll Karate Sex Dragons. Uh, a little more comedy, a little more, um, 
uh, celebrity interview-based, freeform discussions. I think you'll enjoy it. So if you are at the Raleigh & Company site, uh, go check it out. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot.